Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to ask you if you're physically able, if you'd stand with me as you read out of respect for the reading of the Word of God, Philippians chapter 4. This morning, we'll begin reading in verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This morning, in the few minutes we have together, I'd like to bring you a message entitled, God's Solution to Every Problem. My Father, I need you today. I have nothing to offer these, my friends, except Jesus. But that's enough. Holy Spirit, would you convict and convince? I can do neither. Father, last night there was a soul claimed for you. And I ask, Lord, that this morning, that if there is anyone in this place that has never trusted you as their only way to heaven, this morning would you help them to see their need, not for a new lifestyle, but for eternal life. Would you do the work as only you can? And my Father, I'm asking you, would you hide me behind the cross of my Jesus so that when these dear people leave this morning, may they not remember me, but the God that I serve. And I ask this the only way I know how, through the name and through the blood of my Jesus, Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be nice if there was one solution to every single problem? I began thinking about this in a very unusual place for me. I was standing in Hobby Lobby, a place where no man should ever be caught dead without his wife. There are certain places that um, I would just rather not go to. I go to Hobby Lobby because my girls, even my youngest at the age of two, who calls it Lobby Lobby, they love this place. I go because they want to go. And I drive the truck. There are other places that i just rather not go Places such as Panera Bread. 
Gentlemen, any place where you have to check your man card at the door, you probably would just be better off not going to unless it's your wife's choice. But man, I'm very thankful that I don't have to check my man card at Cabela's and Bass Pro. I'd rather go there, and yes, I've taught my daughters to enjoy that place too. But I was in Hobby Lobby by myself preparing for Christmas. We live in a 40-foot RV, and so there's not a lot of room for my little girls to have certain types of toys. My girls like to dress up probably like some of your children or grandchildren, and so we came up with an idea that we would make them for Christmas last year, a type of a tent and a castle. But when you're only living in 40 feet by 8 feet, that can be a challenge. In our previous fifth wheel, we had a bunk bed, and underneath that bunk bed, it was open for some play space. And so we decided we would make a fabric house on one side, and on the other side, a castle. We'd put snaps on the top, and we'd snap it to the bunk bed. So it's a one-sided uh, play, imaginary house or castle. They could walk through the door. They loved it. But in order to make this, I had to be the one to pick out the material. Reason being, where we were parked, we were over 45 minutes away from the town. And, and so I drove into town. And I don't know what it is about Hobby Lobby, but Hobby Lobby must always build metal, metal buildings. Which means, man, if you go in there by yourselves, you cannot text your wife. And I'm supposed to pick out the fabric for this Christmas present that we have to sew together. And I can't even text my wife pictures of the fabric. I was just praying I did a good job picking out. Thankfully, it all worked out. But while I'm standing at the counter, I look down and there's this basket. Maybe you've seen it. I don't know. I don't know the exact terminology or the exact name of it, but it read something like this. In this basket, there's a little sign and these little what looked to me like three-in-one bottles. Man, you know what that is. But this bottle, it said something like this. Granny's 100% spot remover. Guaranteed to take out any stain known to man. And you know what I said? <laughs> Whatever. Because <laughs> like many of you, I live in a house with kids. And there are certain stains that will never come out. But it guaranteed to take out mustard stains, ketchup stains, tomato stains, uh, pen, pen mark, uh, markers, dry erase. I mean, it, you could claim to do all of this. And, as, and maybe you've tried it. I, I didn't have enough faith in it. But as I looked at that sign, I thought, you know what? That's a 100% guaranteed spot remover solution. Wouldn't it be nice if there was one solution for the entire world? Because our world's in a mess. And excuse me, it's not just our world, it's our churches. A lot of times we try to blame Washington for the problems that we have. Or we try to blame America for this and that. Or maybe we even go so far as to blame another country from across the sea for the problems that we're experiencing. But 
Unfortunately, the problem began, excuse me, in our churches. You say, that's a harsh statement. I don't believe so. I believe when you look at the truths of the Bible and when you look at the condition of the world, the world, or more specifically, America is where America is because of where our churches are today. And our churches are today not just because of the leadership. Our churches are where they are because of our homes. And our homes are where they are because of us. It's not their problem. It's my problem. And when I open the Word of God and I see all the mess that the world is in, and I go to the Word of God, and here's my question, what's the answer? You turn on whatever news channel you turn on, or you look at whatever app you look at, and you say, what's the answer? What is God's solution for every problem? Well, sin's always a problem. Jesus is always the answer. And Jesus has the answer in the Word of God. The solution to every one of man's problems is peace. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, hasn't that been asked for years? When will the world have peace? When the world wants peace. Isn't that a fair answer? When the world wants peace. Well, how do you get peace? How about this? Who is peace? We are often looking for what God can give us instead of what God is to us. We are looking for the benefits of God without looking for God. And we don't need the benefits of peace as much as we need peace. And you open up Philippians 4, and he ends in the verse that we be finished in, in verse number 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I began to look in the Word of God, and I began to find, where can I get this peace what is the answer? Well, the answer is through Jesus, and you obtain peace through Jesus. But as I began to look at peace in the Word of God, I realized there are two kinds of peace. And you can't have one without the other. You see, we read about, in verse number 7, the peace of God. But the peace of God is not possible Unless you have Romans 5, peace with God. Would you turn to Romans 5, more specifically, Romans 4 for sake of context. If you must have one before you have the other, then let's see how to get the first. There's so many people looking for peace, but they cannot have the peace of God without peace with God. And in Romans chapter 4, notice what it will say in verse number, let's begin reading in verse number 21. And being fully persuaded that he, what he had promised he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. 
Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and, who, and was raised again for our justification. Chapter 5, verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have, get this, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The world wants peace, but friends, the world won't have peace until the world understands Romans 4 and 5. When he tells us that it is only through Jesus that you can be at peace with a holy God. There are even people in our churches that say, oh yes, I love peace, but they don't have peace with God. You see, peace with God, once settled is unchanging. Peace with God is when you or I or any person, language, color, or creed, says, based on the word of God, Jesus died for my sin. He rose from the grave. He's God's sacrifice for sin, and I'll trust in him. You see, there is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. He says, I am not a way, I'm the way. I'm the truth, and I'm the life. There is no other way. You say, that's just proud. No, that's Bible. That's not proud. That's not mean. If it were mean, then Jesus would say only some. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus died for the sins of the ungodly. And the ungodly are all of those who are descendants of Adam. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. I am guilty, and so are you. Friends, I deserve to spend forever in a very real place called hell. You may think you live in hell day by day. But friend, no matter how light, rough your life is, that is not Bible hell. It is a place of fire. It is a place of darkness. It is a place of memory. And worst off, separation from a holy God. You see, it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Every one of us will one day stand before God Almighty. He will either be your king or your judge. Which would you rather? Friend, the judge declares me guilty because I'm a sinner. 
Because I have no good thing in me, I am guilty. When I stand before the holy judge, God himself on his throne, he looks at me and I have nothing. I have nothing but my good works and they are worthless. They are as filthy rags in the sight of God. Nothing good have I and when I stand before the judge, the judge says, guilty. You will meet people that will say something like this. I've been a believer all my life. No, friend, you were not born a believer. One who was a believer is someone who has simply believed what God said. And God says, I'm a sinner headed to hell. Only Jesus can forgive. You see, for God so loved the world. Oh, maybe we should stop there. I get weary of hearing preachers talk about the damnation of God upon a sinner without including his love. And I also get weary of a preacher who only talks about God's love without the holiness of God. God will not allow sin into heaven because he is righteous, because he is just, because he is God. But friend, the God in heaven loved you. And he loved me enough to send his only son, Jesus. Several thousand years ago, Jesus was not just an event at Christmas. Jesus came to be born to die. He would live 33 and a half years on this earth, never having done anything wrong. And yet, he would not be a martyr, for a martyr's life is taken. He would be a lamb who would lay down his life for the sinner. Jesus died for you. He died so that you could have an everlasting hope, an everlasting life in a real place called heaven. You see, the judge says guilty until payment is made for sin. And the payment was Jesus. Jesus died for me. I am unworthy, have always been, and always will be. But Jesus died for me. Isn't that what he says in Romans 5? He said in verse number 25, who was delivered for our offense, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 25, and was raised again for our justification. We are not talking about a religious leader. 
religious leaders, every one of them is dead, buried, and you can go visit their bones. But my Jesus didn't just die for me. Three days later, in fulfillment of the Bible, he came back to life. I don't serve a leader. I serve a resurrected Savior. Friend, Jesus didn't just die just to be recorded in the Bible. He died for you. So many people are trying to do to earn heaven. Jesus didn't do. He did. It was done. It was settled. Get this. I don't have to do anything to get to heaven. I trust in the one that did it. He died for you to forgive you of your sins. But it is only applied to you and I when we accept it. When we believe it. When we believe what he said and depend on him and just him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, rescued. How? By believing on him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You say, Brother Glenn, how can you stand up there and claim you have eternal life? Because I believed in Jesus. And Jesus gave me what I did not deserve. In chapter 5, verse number 1, he says this. Therefore, being justified by faith. Not by works, by faith. I just believe what he said. I believe he finished it. That's not pride. That's me recognizing I need Jesus. Justified. I've heard so many definitions, just probably like you have. Justified. Just as if I was never a sinner. Yes, friend. But that's pretty amazing. Just as if I had never sinned. No, just as if I was never a sinner. So when I stand before the judge who had previously declared me guilty and bound for hell, when I trusted in Jesus, then God doesn't look at me. He looks at Jesus. It doesn't mean I'm something good. He looks at Jesus whose blood, his righteousness covers me. And now the judge looking at Jesus who covers me, the judge declares me Not guilty. Do I deserve hell? Yes. But my Jesus paid the price. Friend, he has paid your price. But if you don't accept his payment, you still owe. You need Jesus. You say, do I have to join the church? No. That's a work. Do I have to put money in the plate? No, that's a work. 
Do I have to be baptized? No, that's obedience. You just trust Jesus. You say it sounds so simple. It is. It is. Bible scholars have made it hard. Preachers have made it hard. Jesus made it simple. I am come that they might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. What does he say in verse number 1 of chapter 5? Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. I'm no longer condemned. I'm counted righteous by the blood of Jesus. I am at peace with the holy God. And that standing can never change. You don't lose your salvation. It's not an every other day with Jesus. Once saved, always saved. You say, how can you prove that? Seems to me that one time of Jesus dying on the cross was enough for a holy God. And if one time in Jesus dying was enough, then one time me trusting in Jesus is enough too. Are you at peace with God? If you were to die today or five years from now, no matter how you were to die, and you were to stand before God, would you be declared not guilty and welcomed into heaven because you trusted in Jesus? Or would you be declared guilty and condemned to hell because you did not believe in the only one that paid for your sin. You see, in all kindness, either you can pay for your sin in hell or you can trust in the one that already paid for it. Peace with God. Are you at peace with the holy God? And get this, this peace with the judge makes him my king, not my judge. Friend, if that doesn't bless your blesser, your blesser's broken. Maybe we need to go back and remember what we deserve. You deserve hell. But Jesus paid your price. There's another kind of peace in the Bible we read about in Philippians 4. And if you have peace with God, then the peace of God is freely offered. Peace with God, once obtained, never changes. And it's only obtained when I trust in just Jesus. But when I have the peace with God, I'm now freely offered peace of God. So the peace that all of us want in our problems, in our circumstances of life, it's free too. You say, well, how come I don't have it? Well, maybe we should go back to Philippians 4 and see what it is. In Philippians 4, the peace of God. He says in verse number 4, rejoice in the Lord always. 
You say, I can't do that. I have problems. <laughs> Who doesn't? I have people. Wouldn't it be nice if, you know, there were no people? <laughs> we live in a perfect world. I tell my wife all the time, I say, you know what? If it was acceptable for a hermit to take his wife and kids with him, I'd go live on a mountaintop somewhere all alone with my wife and kids if you miss that. You say, you don't like people? You do. <laughs> you know, if everybody was just like you, it'd be great, wouldn't it? No. You say, I have people. I have problems. I have sickness. I have pain. Yes. You say, how do you rejoice in all of that? Excuse me, you don't. You say, Brother Glenn, you just said rejoice. Now, one time in that verse did he say rejoice in your problems. He didn't say rejoice in your circumstances. He didn't say rejoice in your sickness. He didn't say rejoice in your people that are around you causing you problems. He says rejoice in the Lord. You can rejoice in Jesus because he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's faithful. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He answers prayer. He cleans you up, John 15, from the word. He gives you real joy that never can be taken away when he fills it up when you abide in him, John 15. He gives you everything you need to live the Christian life. Stop looking to everything and everyone else. Rejoice in Jesus. And if that's not enough, what does he say? And again, I say rejoice. I walk in so many churches. It looks like people are walking around with a bass with chapped lips or a giraffe with a sore throat. I mean, they just look miserable. Everything looks sad. How you doing? Oh, good night. Stop looking at everything else. Look at Jesus. The same way you got the peace of, with God to stand before God is the same way you can have the peace of God in your circumstances. Through Jesus. How in the world can Paul sit in the jail knowing his head's about to be severed from his shoulders and be at peace? Because he found that peace is only offered through Jesus. The same way you get the peace with God is how you have the peace of God. And he says, so rejoice in the Lord. He goes on, notice what he says in verse number six. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto the Lord. We'll get to it. Some of you notice I missed the word. But it's interesting, when we have problems, we have to tell everybody else our problems instead of the one that can take care of the problems. 
He doesn't say, let your requests be made known unto everybody else. Do you remember in the Gospels? When the Lord asked so many people, what are you talking about? What's your problem? What's wrong? Didn't he know? Yes. He's a son of God. Then why did he ask? Because he's looking for his people to give their problems to him. Let your requests be made known unto God. Then he says this, with thanksgiving. You say, preacher, there is no way I can thank God for what I'm going through. He's not saying thank God for what you're going through. He's saying thank God for God. Remember, rejoice in the Lord. With thanksgiving, in other words, I can't handle this, so I'm telling you about it, and I'm thankful you're going to handle it. We have made our entire lives about us. And it's not. It's about him. You want to know why so many churches going down the street have sold their buildings and they've turned into something else? <laughs> because they made the Christian life about something else besides Jesus. You want the peace of God in all your problems? Follow Jesus. Submit to Jesus. Yield to Jesus. He goes on, he said, let your requests be made known unto God with thanksgiving. And then it says, verse number seven, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. I love this. I have heard for years, when you have the peace of God, no one else around you will be able to understand why you're at peace. Okay. But that's not what it's saying. This is personal. This is saying when you're at peace in your trial and troubles, even you won't be able to understand it because Jesus takes over when you let him. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts. I dare say that there are many broken hearts in this building this morning. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have loved ones that are sick and hurting. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have children away from the Lord. I don't know your problems, but I know someone that does. And he gives peace. So instead of running to everybody else, run to Jesus. And when you run to Jesus, you won't even be able to understand all that he's done. But the problem is many times we claim this verse just like we do Jeremiah 33, 3. When he says, call unto me and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. And we think, woo, look at what God will do. Context. Which thou knowest not. 
In other words, what you will never see until you trust God with it. Beyond all understanding when you trust God with it. And then he says this, and keep your minds. Don't we have trouble with our minds? We worry, we fret, we don't know how it's going to work out, so we try to work, out our, work it out ourselves. Well, God, you're not going to handle this. I will. That's dangerous, friend. Let Jesus take it. Let Jesus take it over. Let Jesus calm your heart. Let Jesus calm your mind. By the way, don't lay in bed at night worrying. By the, you know worry is a sin, right? Worry is when you don't trust Jesus with it. But even the psalmist says, my sleep will be sweet when you give it to Jesus. Then he says this, through Christ Jesus. The same one that paid for your sin is the same one that is for you. The same one who you trusted in for heaven, if you have. The same one who gave you peace with God is the one that offers you the peace of God. So why do so many of God's people not live in peace? Because they're not looking to the prince of peace. I was preaching in Troy, Ohio several years ago. We were doing a big teen crusade, six foot big ball, pizza, Bible preaching, all of those things. On Wednesday night, the pastor said, I'm not canceling church. We're seeing souls saved and God's blessing." He called all his people. He said, listen, we're still having church. He said, we're going to have church with the teenagers. So let the teenagers sit in the front and everybody else sit in the back. They packed that place out that night. We probably had 100 plus, maybe, maybe 200 teens. Then we probably had another 150 uh, adults from the church sitting behind them. We saw several saved that night. God blessed in a mighty way. After the service, I'm standing at the front. It's hot in there. It's, you know, it's a fellowship hall with a low ceiling. It's in the middle of summer, and I'm sweating to death. This lady comes up to me with her husband, young couple. And she looks at me, and she says, Brother Glenn, do you remember me? You know how hard it is for an evangelist to remember people? I try so hard. I have apps on my phone. I write down people's name. I write down what they look like and the next year they've lost all their hair. That helps. I said, I'm sorry. I, I, you look familiar, but I just, I don't recognize, I don't, I don't know who you are. She said, well, you went to school with my brother. That helps. I went to school with a lot of people's brother. I said, what's your maiden name? She told me, and I went, oh, no. He was my roommate. 
He was one of these people that you just, I'll explain him to you. The night before classes, he would iron all his clothes. And then he'd put them on, including his tie. And then he would lay in bed at night like this. And he'd sleep like that all night. Ten minutes before the, uh, class would start, his alarm would ring. He'd jump out of bed, tie already tied, everything. He'd pull on his cowboy boots. He'd swig some mouthwash and he'd slide in to his seat right as the bell would ring. Don't you hate those people? I said, now I know who you are. Then she proceeds to ask me this. She said, Brother Glenn, have you ever seen a perfect baby? Friends, I have found as a preacher there are several subjects you do not discuss. One of them is babies. You say, well, aren't all babies cute? Are you kidding? My babies weren't cute when they were born. They look like little red bugs, you know. She asked me, she, she said, have you ever seen a perfect baby? And I know where this is headed. I'm thinking to myself, if I say yes, she's going to want to compare to her baby. If I say no, she's going to want me to go pick her baby up from the nursery. I'm dead either way. I felt like it would be better to go pick her baby up from the nursery and then formulate my thoughts on the way back than to, you know, give the other answer. So I said no. Here it came. Brother Glenn, can I show you a perfect baby? Now I'm stuck. I said, sure. I thought she was going to have her husband go to the nursery, but she didn't. She reached in her pocketbook. She pulled out her phone. And I thought, oh, no. Where is this headed? She opened her phone and she handed it to me and I took her phone. And I'm looking at this young couple in a hospital room holding a newborn. Baby's all wrapped up. Baby's skin had turned blue. I've been at enough of these hospital beds to know exactly what I was looking at. The baby had passed into eternity. But what do you say? So I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry. But why do you say this is a perfect baby? And she said, oh, Brother Glenn, that's easy. When the baby was born, my baby was already with Jesus. And I figure if Jesus is perfect, then my baby is too. I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry. May I ask you one more question? She said, oh, yes. I said, I have been in hundreds of hospital rooms, talked to hundreds of ladies all around the world and young couples who have gone through the exact same thing that you're going through. But there's something different about you. I said, there's a joy and there's a peace. 
may I kindly ask you, what's the difference? And she looked at me and she said, oh, Brother Glenn, that's easy. It's just one word. His name is Jesus. And I went back to my trailer that night and I got on my face before God and I began to weep. And I thought of all my little problems compared to hers. And I thought about the big God that she decided to trust in. And the God who she could find peace of God. Because she had the peace with God. This morning I ask you two questions. Are you at peace with God? If you were to die, no matter how you were to die and stand before God, would he be your king or your judge? You are guilty, there's no question about that. But have you trusted in just Jesus to pay for your sin or are you going to pay for your sin? Would you trust Jesus today? And then those of you who have had peace with God, remember that doesn't change. But the peace of God always changes depending upon who you place your trust in. Maybe it's time this morning to take your hands off your problems and give them to the Prince of Peace. And you can have the peace of God. Heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm done this morning.